The key passage for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have Bibles, turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading in verse 7. The law was written in letters on stone. Even though it was a way of serving God, it led to death. But even that way of serving God came with glory. And even though the glory was fading, the people of Israel couldn't look at Moses' face very long. So he's referring back to an incident in Exodus that I'll talk about in just a second. Verse 8, since all of that is true, won't the work of the Holy Spirit be even more glorious? The law that sentences people to death is glorious. How much more glorious is the work of the Holy Spirit? Now, this is important for you to remember for today. The word glory just simply means brightness or, or, or light, and it means the presence of God. When you hear about the glory of God, it's, it's the objective reality of God's presence. It's not subjective. God is here, right? He's here right now. It's objective. It's true, okay? And it's glorious. Uh, where was I? Verse 10, the glory of the old covenant is nothing compared with the far greater glory of the new. How many of you know, maybe if you haven't walked with Christ very long, there's the old covenant, which we call the Old Testament, and then there's the new covenant, which we call the new... Right. So the old covenant, the old way of doing things, God set into motion, but all of it was for the grander purpose of pointing us to the new testament the new covenant all right where was i people 12 11 oh sorry all right uh the glory of the the glory of the old the old covenant is fading away how much greater is the glory of the new it will last forever thank you see that's what that, that's what we need all right <laughs> since we have that kind of hope now what's great about the old i mean What's great about the New Testament, the New Covenant versus the Old, is the Old, there just isn't a lot of hope in it. It just, it just wasn't working for people, all right? But the New has a lot of hope. So it says, since we have that kind of hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who used to cover his face with a veil. This was to keep the people of Israel from looking at his face while the brightness was fading away. So here's something you've got to understand. Again, this is referencing something that happened back in Exodus. Moses went up on the mountain. You all know the story. If you went to Sunday school, he goes up on the mountain. God gives him the ten what? Commandments. He comes down from the mountain and what are the people doing? They're partying. They're whooping it up. They, they made a golden calf and they're, they're engaging in all sorts of craziness and so you guys remember the uh how many saw the ten commandments with charlton heston some of you are too young but and he throws the tablets and this this was a movie of course he throws the tablets they go about a mile they hit the golden calf it blows up you remember that well it didn't quite happen that way i seriously doubt it but it kind of happened like that he saw the people whooping it up with the golden calf and he threw the tablets down because he was angry he lost his temper gives a brother like me some hope even Moses had a bad temper, right? Throws him down and breaks him. And then he comes down, he grinds up the idol, he beats it into powder, he pours it into the river, and he makes the people drink the water. There's some real pastoring for you right there, right? Drink it! You could just see it. No, you're going to drink all of it, right? So the people, you got to understand, they're afraid at this point because 
they messed up really bad. And God actually even says to Moses, you just clear out the way, brother man. I'm going to wipe these people out. I'm done. And then Moses talked him out of it. And, you know, it's a, it's a good story. But you've got to understand, at this point, the people were scared because God was about to wipe them out. And so Moses went back up on the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments again. And when he came down from the mountain, his face was bright because he'd been, in a way of thinking, looking at God up on the mountain. How many of you ever sat out in the sun too long, right? And your face is all red. It wasn't like that, but it's kind of like that. You sit out in the sun or you're, you're in the presence of brightness and his face is shining and people were scared. The reason they were scared was they thought God was going to kill them. And they're like, we can't even look at you. We don't even... And so he put a, a veil over his face. So when he, whenever he was with people, he'd wear a veil. And then when he'd go up to meet with God, he'd take the veil off. There's an interesting thing. Uh, we don't much do this anymore, but... Uh, in the old days when a, a man and a wife would get married, right? The wife would wear a veil. How many, any ladies in here wore a veil on their wedding day? Okay, that's the point. The point was brides are glorious, right? They're glorious. And so there comes that moment where you make that covenant, a covenant, Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. You make a covenant and then there comes that glorious moment, and I remember it for the rest of my life, although I didn't lift the veil, but if, if you got married a long time ago, you'd lift that veil, men, and you'd smack her with a kiss, right? Or did you? We still kissed the bride way back then, right? Okay. So, and you kiss her, and the point is, you lift the veil up, and she's glorious. But you can look at her, because you're not afraid, Right? Well, this is how it was with Moses. He put a veil over his face and he kept it over his face whenever he saw people. But when he goes up to the mountain, he doesn't have to be afraid. When he sees God, he takes the veil off, right? So, uh, where was I? 13, thank you. I'm glad you're paying attention. All right. uh, We are not like Moses. He used to cover his face with a veil. This was to keep the people of Israel from looking at his face while the brightness was fading away. But their minds were made stubborn. To this very day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. The veil has not been removed. Only faith in Christ can take it away. To this very day, when the law of Moses is read, a veil covers the minds of those who hear it. But... When anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone. When anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You make a deal. You plant a kiss. You say, I do. You take the veil away. All right? Uh, Now the Lord is the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, freedom is also there. Our faces are not covered with a veil. We all... Display the Lord's glory. That's very important. Remember that word all for later. We are, remember that word are for later. We are being changed to become more like him, that is Christ, so that we have more and more glory. In another version it says we're being changed from glory to glory. One glorious thing to another glorious thing. And the glory comes from the Lord who is the Holy Spirit. So today we're talking about glory and we're talking about transformation, change. If you're anything like me, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm 
fully convinced 110% of you want to change something about yourself. Some of you who are really great, maybe it's just one thing. If you're like me, you got a list, right? Well, today we're talking about that. How do we change from glory to glory? So, we're going to, I'm going to let you stand up. And I want you to go and meet somebody you've never met before. And for you introverts, I know this terrifies you. So just relax and breathe. And this will break the ice for you. Ask him a question. What is one thing you'd like to change about yourself? All right, three, two, one. Go and do that. So there's a good question for today. What is one thing you want to change about yourself? It's a good question for us to think about, to ponder on. Uh, But before we do that... I got to start with a rock and roll story. Can I tell you a rock and roll story this morning? All right. This is not nearly as much fun as my other rock and roll stories, but I'm going to tell it to you. This is actually a bad thing that happened. This was actually before I became a big star. Did I say that? (laughs) It never happened. I'm kidding. I'm joking. All right. So before... Thank you, Z. Before I became a big star, we rode in a van and you got a lot of gear when you're in a rock band, and so you got to tow a trailer. Now, how many of you in here have ever pulled a trailer? Okay, not the easiest thing in the world. I saw some ladies raise their hands, so I feel kind of foolish, but not the easiest thing in the world. So we had a couple of roadies at this time, so that we had like six, six guys in this van. Tiny little customized van pulling a big trailer full of gear. Well, we were headed from somewhere, Georgia, I think, on the way up to Pennsylvania to play a really big show. We were really excited about it, and we were going through Virginia. Now, we had a limited time to get there, so we're just hauling, just pulling this trailer and hauling. We're we're in Virginia. It's like 4 in the morning. It's pitch black, Virginia Road, middle of nowhere. And one of these roadies that we had with us, we had two roadies. One was Big Tony, who I told you about before, and one was this other guy who I'm going to try desperately. Y'all pray for me not to say his name, all right? Usually it slips out, okay? But I'm going to try not to. So we had this other guy. Now, you got to understand something about this other guy. I'll call him Sean, all right? You got to understand something about Sean the roadie. He was a younger, uh, he was a young man, all right? Now, I know we got some young people in here, so I just want you to relax and don't get offended, okay? How many of you know, if you're older in here like me, how many of you know college students, I'm sure none at this church, but college students, they have this characteristic about them where they just kind of think they know everything. <laughs> Can you relate to that? So, so I got this guy, Sean, one of, one of my roadies, and he's a college age, he's a college, I'm going to call him a kid, okay? He's a college kid. If you're in college, don't be offended. I'm sure you're not like this guy. Okay, but this guy was the most annoying young man on the face of the earth. He's my brother's little project, my, his little ministry project. He's going to bring Jesus to him. And I just wanted to kick him all the time, right? Because he just knew everything. You couldn't ever tell him anything. Now, I was, what, 15 years older than him, but you couldn't tell him nothing. I mean, if you tried to tell him, hey, uh, Sean, uh, slow down a little bit. You're pulling a ton worth of gear and you can't stop quickly. He'd go, don't tell me how to do things. I know what I'm doing. Or he'd go to, one time he pulled into a gas station, right? And it's one of these gas stations with a low overhang. And we're like, Sean, you're not going to make it under that overhang. Don't pull in. Don't tell me how to do things. I know what I'm doing. 
We go in the, in the gas station, and it was a southern town, and this, this old southern lady goes, you know that boy is going to beat up that trailer trying to go under that overhang, don't you? And I, and I said, ma'am, I, I try to tell him. And she said, this is interesting, she, she knew immediately the kind of guy he was, this college kid. She said, he just knows, don't he? I said, yes, ma'am, he just knows. You couldn't tell him anything. So we're driving back to Virginia. We're on our way to Pennsylvania. It's four in the morning. I'm dead dog tired. I just want a motel room, a bed, sleep. We've got a big gig the next day. So he turns down the wrong road. And the other guy that was reading the map, Big Tony, said, uh, uh, Sean, you, you, went, you went the wrong way. Don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. Turns out he did go down the wrong road. So, Sean, you need to turn around. He goes to turn into this little bitty narrow road. Now, remember, he's pulling a trailer. This little bitty narrow road. And Big Tony said to Sean, Sean, you're not going to be able to turn around in there. Don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. You're getting the picture here. So he pulls it on this little, tiny, narrow, dirt road. Realizes he can't turn around. Goes to back up. How many have ever backed up a trailer? A little tricky. He goes to back up, puts it in a ditch. The trailer, the van, ditch. Right? And it's a rear-wheel rear drive van. Hits the gas, the rear, rear wheel's just spinning, just spinning. We're stuck. It's four in the morning, Virginia. And I'm irritated. <laughs> Can you imagine? So we all get out, and we decided the best way to deal, deal with this is to take the trailer off the hitch and then all go stand on the bumper of the van, try to get the van out. So we take the trailer off the hitch, and we push the trailer, which hadn't fallen quite as far into the ditch, out, and only God knows why we made this decision. It's four in the morning. We retired. We said, we'll push it out into the road. So we push it out into the road. It's four in the morning. It's a deserted road. Only... It was the first day of hunting season. So like 20 minutes later, we're... Uh, Sean, see, I almost said his name. I almost did it. Sean is at, the, is at the trailer, watching the trailer in the road. We're at the van, jumping up and down on the bumper, trying to get it out of there. All of a sudden, we hear this... Bam! Somebody's some hunter... On his way, first day of hunting season, smacked right into the trailer. Well, after the bam, I just heard, oh, what have I done? And he just, this is a college, this is a young man. He was just grieving, weeping. What have I done? I mean, I, when I got up to the road, I half expected to see chunks of children or something in the road for how he was reacting, you know, completely. It was a disproportionate response to what happened. Okay, it's bad. It was, he hit the trailer. Okay, pull yourself together. And he's, he's face down on the road, weeping. Just, I mean, dude just had a breakdown. Just an absolute breakdown. And, you know, the fine pastor that I am and loving and compassionate, I'm just like, Sean, just pull yourself together, man. <laughs> Now, it wasn't until later that I figured out what happened. I just thought maybe, I don't know, he was tired, he's doing drugs or something. I don't know what he was. 
And I figured it out. You can't go through life and do everything yourself. You can't go through life and know everything. I mean, I'm a lot happier once I figured out that I'm dumb as a box of rocks, that I don't know anything. I'm a lot happier when I realize I can't do everything. I'm, I can't do everything right. I don't know all the answers. I can't uh, change everything I want to change. I just can't do it. Now, today we're talking about transformation, change. How many of you in here, if you're anything like me, how many of you in here got more than one self-help book at home? I got a whole library full of them. I got how to lose weight till I just, my weight loser is tired out. I got how to work out. I got how to be a good fighter. I got how to beat up on people. I got how to be a good husband books. I got how to be a good wife books. I got all kind of books. And I can't count how many times purchasing a book was prompted by the fact that I saw something in myself that I wanted to change. Anybody relating besides me? How many have ever made a decision, you're never going to do that again? And how many have ever, like me, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but how many, you lasted about a week and then you went and did it again? How many have ever tried to commit to working out every day? How many have ridden that little train? Fat, thin, fat, thin, fat, thin, fat, thin. I mean, I ride that train my whole life. You know, it makes me, it makes me frustrated. Do you know how difficult it is to change anything about ourselves? Just take the physical thing. You know what I read yesterday and I've been back working out. I'm trying to make my way down to thin, you know. You know what I read yesterday? I read you have to burn 3,500 extra calories to lose one pound. 3,500 to lose a pound of fat. I went to the gym yesterday. I'm all proud of myself. I'm working on change. And I'm, I'm on one, that uh, dumb looking one, that the Stairmaster one, right? And I am just hoofing it. <sighs> gotta change, gotta change. <sighs> gotta lose weight, gotta do it, gotta do it. Picturing myself, you know, because the mental picture, picturing Brad Pitt's abs and, you know, just. <sighs> and I worked and worked and worked till I was about to die. And I looked down at the little calorie burn meter. You know how many calories I burned? 300. And I went home and ate more than that for dinner. <laughs> change is tough. Physical change is tough. Changing inside. Now that's tough. God in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, He gave everybody ten rules. Ten rules. Keep these ten and you'll be all right. Keep these 10, and you'll look like me. Keep these 10, you can change whatever you want to change. And sometimes I think, and please forgive me, I'm not trying to be blasphemous or anything, but as I study the scripture, I think he gave Moses the 10, and it was almost like he was 
I dare you to try to keep them. I dare you. Because they couldn't do it. In fact, they have a... I'll, take, I'll pick one commandment. Keep the Sabbath holy. Six days you work, one day you rest. On that day of rest, you don't do any work. Well, it's fun not to work. <laughs> You'd think that if I didn't have to work, that that would be an easy one to keep. I think that'd be the easiest one. It was so difficult for them to keep. They made a bunch of other rules surrounding that one so they wouldn't break that one. It's almost like the line is here, keep the Sabbath, and they drew the line way back here so they wouldn't even come close to breaking the Sabbath. They had rules for everything, all kinds of work. They had a law that said it was illegal for a woman to look in the mirror on the Sabbath day. There's no work in looking. But the reason they made that law was because they thought that a woman would look in the mirror, notice a gray hair on her head, and go to pluck it out. Boop! And that's work. So they drew this line way back here. And still, the people couldn't keep it. You can't go through life keeping all the rules. I can't do it. It, Every time I try, I end up crying in the middle of the road because I get frustrated and irritated. And maybe some of you can relate to this. You get irritated and frustrated and downright depressed when you see the difference between what you want to be and what you are. You see God's law, it's holy and right and good, and I love it. But I can't even come close to keeping it. You depressed yet? Here's, uh, here's some encouragement for you. God agrees. God agrees. We can't do it. Everybody say, I, I can't do it. Can't do. And the sooner you get comfortable with that, the happier you'll be the sooner we accept the fact that we cannot keep the law of God, no matter how hard we try or how many books we buy. The more comfortable, the more at peace, the happier we'll be. Because it says in 2 Corinthians, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7, the law was written in letters on stone. Even though it was a way of serving God, it led to death. Death? God's law? I thought God's law was good. It is. How can that which is good lead to death? That's what it says. It says it in more than one place. Trying to keep the law, trying to do everything right, leads to death. You can see that in so many situations in life. My, uh, my kids. If you got kids in here, you totally understand this. My middle kid is particularly adept at this. I'll say, Dawson, don't do such and such. And I'm telling you, more often than not, within 20 seconds of me saying, don't do such and such, he'll go and do it. Wait, Dawson, I said, don't do that. Now, you're about to experience death. (laughs) Right? Because trying to keep the law and falling short leads to death. Don't tell anyone I spank him, all right? Just relax. 
If you don't agree with spanking, that's fine. Just one little swat with the hands, all I do. Okay, relax. All right? Okay, it's not little, but it's... All right? Trying to keep it leads to death. We can't do it. It brings death every time we try. It makes me more and more miserable because I see Jesus. He did it. And then I look at me. And the distance is too great. We need something. We can't do it. We need somebody. And so God provides that. And I will read verse 7 again. The law was written in letters on stone. Even though it was a way of serving God, it led to death. And even that way of serving God came with glory. See, keeping the rules, it has a kind of glory about it. Have you ever noticed, uh, I'm sure many of you know this, how amazingly brilliant people are? I mean, just think, in my lifetime, okay, I was born in 60, right? And about 69, we went to the moon. And just in the short time since we went to the moon, we've got the space shuttle. We have an international space station, and we make regular flights, up to the space station. And we've got people living up there, studying stuff. In my lifetime, we have computers. We have the iPod, the iPod Touch. Now we have the iPad. I mean, our knowledge and people's ability to do great stuff just goes on and on and on. We can do great stuff. And we, to be honest with you, we can do stuff that's great, even if we choose to exclude God from our lives. How many people you know that don't follow Christ that have done great stuff? Lots. There's a certain glory in just doing the right thing. There's a certain glory in keeping the rules. But the Bible draws a contrast between that glory and a different kind of glory. It says, uh, verse uh, 8, Since all of that is true, won't the work of the Holy Spirit be even more glorious. If the old way of doing things had a certain kind of glory about it, won't the work of the Holy Spirit, who we call God, the Holy Spirit, be even more glorious? The law that sentences people to death is glorious. How much more is the work of the Spirit? His work makes people right with God. Now, this is the best news I'm going to give you all day. God, the Holy Spirit, is working. When you don't like the way you look and I don't like the way I look, God is working. When you don't like the way certain situations are going on in your life, God is working. When you don't like the way that husband or wife acts, God is working. When you don't like the way those kids act, God is working. You don't like where your career is, God's working. And that work is glorious. Let me keep reading. The glory, verse 10, the glory of the old covenant, the old way of keeping the rules, is nothing compared with the far greater glory of the new. The glory of the old is fading away. How much greater is the glory of the new? It will last forever. Now, there's a couple things I want you to know about the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Number one, I just read it. It lasts forever. Now, this trying to keep the rules stuff it doesn't last forever. Remember, I, remember my example, and every time I've tried, get up, start working out, start getting thin, time to get fat. Then fat. Doesn't last forever. It just keeps 
But the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God in your life and in my life, that goes on forever. It doesn't fail. Since we have that kind of hope, we are very bold. I want to to point out this one other verse too. It says, uh, verse 10, The glory of the old covenant is nothing compared with the far greater glory of the new. The glory of the old is fading away. How much greater is the glory of the new? It will last forever. And then let me back up a verse. The law, verse 9, that sentences people to death is glorious. The law that sentences people to death is glorious. God's law is good. How much more glorious is the work of the Holy Spirit? His work makes people right with God. That's the second thing I want you to remember about God's work in your life and in my life. It lasts forever and it makes you right with God. Now, even as I say that, I know what many of you, especially you Christ followers in here, are thinking. Yes, I know. The Holy Spirit makes me right with God. So I'll get through this life and then one day I'll go to heaven and God will allow me in and tolerate me and just just let me in and it makes me right with Him. No. When it says it makes you right with God, yes, that's perfectly true. It makes you right with God in an eternal sense and it makes you right. It makes you act right, do right, think right, Talk right, love right, husband right, wife right, kid right, parent right, worker right. You follow me? The Holy Spirit, God's work in your life is continually going on to make everything we do more and more right. No, that isn't true. That's not true. Is it? No, it's not true. Look at my life. Yeah, I got some areas that are right. I got some areas where I look like Jesus. And I got some areas where I look like somebody that's not Jesus. (laughs) Somebody like much worse. Is, Is the glory of God, the work of the Holy Spirit... His glory, His work in my life, making me more right, really? Have you guys ever met Christ followers that were snotheads? I'm trying to be discreet, right? Have you? I meet them all the time. If you've met me, I've managed to be a snothead once or twice, right, Ken Klegman? Right? You're not supposed to say sure. You're supposed to fight me on it, right? How am I, what do you mean I'm more and more right? Depends on what day you catch me. Saturday morning when I haven't had enough rest, I don't feel more and more right. Sunday morning when I haven't had enough rest, I don't feel more and more right. I feel more and more wrong. Is is it just me? I feel like you're looking at me like I'm weird, like you're pitying me or something. Are you relating to this? But it says... The glory of the old covenant, verse 10, is nothing compared with the far greater glory of the new. The glory of the old is fading away. How much greater is the glory of the new? It will last forever. Since we have that kind of hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who used to cover his face with a veil. This was to keep the people of Israel from looking at his face while the brightness was fading away. But their minds were made stubborn. To this very day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. The veil has not been removed. 
Only faith in Christ can take it away. To this very day when the law is read, a veil covers the minds of those who hear it. Key verse right here, verse 16. But when anyone, anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And who is that Lord? Now the Lord is the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, freedom is also there. Our faces are not covered with a veil. We all, everybody say all, all. display the Lord's glory. Really? Even on Sunday morning when I haven't had enough rest? Even every snothead Christian I've ever met? Anybody who has Jesus, who's turned and put their faith in Christ, begins to display the Lord's glory. They don't wear a veil. And so when people see them, they see Christ. No, that isn't true. That's not true. You can ask my wife about it. Does she see Jesus? You know, once, uh, uh, before we moved to Murray, which, I, I don't know, how long we've been there, baby? How many long we've been in Murray? A few months. <laughs> All right. Before we moved to Murray, we lived in this glorious town called Cedar, Cedar Hills. You guys know that? Pleasant Grove? All right. We lived in this neighborhood. I can't even believe we got this house. But, I mean, you walk out the door, and there's the mountain. You know what I mean? I mean, just like, there you are. And during one of my times when I'm trying to get thin, I got into this tiny little habit of jogging. And so I, I, I would get my iPod, and every time I go out to jog, I'd be like, oh, Lord, I'm just going to worship you on this jog, and I'm going to meet you, and it's going to be glorious. And when I come back from this jog, I'm going to look more and more right, and I'm going to look more and more like Jesus. But one of the... And I love Utah, so if you're a Utahan native, please don't be offended, okay? But... There's one desperate lesson you guys got to learn. Utah, for some reason, is the land of the unrestrained dog. I mean, I'm telling you, what you guys get away with, with your dogs in the state of Utah, in Atlanta, they put you under the jail for that stuff. I could not go out and run a hundred yards without some pesky little dog chasing me down the road trying to bite my heels. And it, this happens over and over. And then one time I went out with a buddy of mine and I turn around and there's this dog sitting about this high, just running beside us. I mean, huge. And God forbid I wanted to put my dog on a leash and take him for a little run, get him a little exercise. Oh no, because then you got to break up a dog fight every block because no one in Utah puts their dogs on a leash. Thank you. Can somebody testify with me? Agree, all right? So one night in Cedar Hills, well, just about every night, this one particular little dog would come and just bark and chase me down the road, nap at my heels. And if you're listening to your iPod, you know, I'm just sort of in the moment. I am not prepared to get shocked by some barking dog behind me. Well, this happened three, four, five, six 10 times, I'm starting to get, I'm starting to lose my temper. 
And so one night I go out, and I'm like, Lord, I just want to meet you. I want to have a glorious time with you. I want to look more like Jesus when I come back. And so I put on my worship music. I got this favorite song, Yahweh. And I'm, I'm running, down the, running down the road, and I'm singing, Yahweh, Yahweh, great is your glory when you go before me. And all of a sudden, and I turned around, I didn't even think, and I, and I turned around, and there's like a teenager there running after his dog. It was his dog. And I didn't even think, or I did think, and I acted quickly, and I said, would you put your stupid dog on a leash? And the kid, I felt so bad, the kid picked him up and said, I'm sorry, sir. And I'm like, don't you call me, sir. <laughs> right. And so I, I, I shared a few choice words with him, and I turned right around again, turned my iPod on. Yahweh, Yahweh, great is your glory. And I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. You're going to think I'm weird, but right then and there, right in my gut, it was, all, it was like I heard God. It was kind of like that. I heard just two words. Mmm, beautiful worship. I'm not displaying the Lord's glory. It says we all display the Lord's glory. I can't even jog without turning into the devil. I'm not displaying anybody's. There was nothing glorious about that, scaring some little teenager. I went back and apologized. Y'all just pray for me, all right? But it says right here, but we all display the Lord's glory. All of us do. And then it goes on. Uh, We all display the Lord's glory. And then it says something very, very important and very hard to buy. We are being changed to become more like Him so that we have more and more glory. Remember, I started this thing saying, what's one thing you want to change about yourself? How long have you tried to change it? If you're like me, I got one or two things or more. I've tried to change for a long time. They don't change. Doesn't seem like it anyway. I, get, I could get discouraged. But it says we are being changed to become more like Him. I don't feel like I'm changing, but I am. I don't look like I'm changing, but I am. Okay. Learn how not to yell at a teenager. That's one thing. What about the stuff we want to change that just is really, really bad? We all got them. I'm not talking about the things that, oh, I could just make a tiny bit of improvement and my wife or my husband would tolerate me better or something. I'm, I'm talking about big, bad things. Sticks that beat us. Stuff that keeps us up at night. Stuff that we lay down in the bed to sleep at night and we're still thinking about. What about big bad stuff? Okay, I can see the Holy Spirit working on me to change the little things, to make me a little more glorious, a little more like Jesus, a little more displaying His glory. But the really bad things, I would call some of those things unchangeable things. Anybody, don't raise your hand, but if you're like me, anybody got an area or two where you've just flat given up? I, I, I just give up hope that that will ever change. Can the Holy Spirit change that? 
because I've been walking with him for a long time and it's not changed. Absolutely. I want to show you something. If you have your Bibles, turn all the way back to Genesis. Chapter 1. I'll just use this, actually. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Don't think anything about it. Look at these words closely. Go back to verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth, so there was something here that he called the earth, was formless, is out of shape, empty, barren, nothing good in it, dark. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. It was deep darkness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, so there was water here. But you know that word waters, if you really dig into that, it's very interesting. There's probably water here, and the Spirit of God was hovering over it. But you know that word water in the Bible is actually used a lot of times as a euphemism. Now, ladies, just, this is going to be kind of gross, all right? So just bear with, as a euphemism for, for urine, pee-pee. So I think, I think the writer's being very specific. Now, the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's the euphemism for, I mean, what he's trying to say here, not that this was literally true, but I think he's trying to communicate something to us. The earth was useless. It was a big, formless, empty, dark bucket of whiz. Sorry, ladies. Hang with me, all right? It was just nothing good about it. Nothing. But the Spirit of God was hovering. Now, that word hovering, he's not just like kicking back. That word hovering means, literally, it means to tremble. If you ever see me uh, up here when service starts, we do this thing called milk the cow, milk the cow, milk the cow, milk the cow before we play. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Sometimes you'll see me up there doing my hands like this. It's because of the adrenaline in my body can make my body shake. And I don't want to shake in front of you guys, so I try to get the shakes out before because adrenaline will do that to you. So this is almost a picture of God hovering over the useless, pee-pee-ridden, sorry, good-for-nothing earth. And he's just trembling. Not because he's scared. He's trembling because he's waiting to move into action to do something he's waiting to change something now go on to the next verse and God said let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good glorious and he separated the light from the darkness what's the difference there what's our challenge today You have areas you want to change and they haven't changed. You've given up. Don't give up. The Spirit of God is hovering over that useless, dead, dark, deep, sorry, good-for-nothing area in your life and in my life. He's hovering. He's trembling. He's full of adrenaline, if I can say that, ready to move into action and change 
You and me. So what's the challenge? We can't do it. He has to do it. I can't change anything. But he, he can. I just have to believe that he can. Think about right now, Dan, come on up. Think about that area in your life and in my life. Think about that area in your life that you call out of shape, formless. Think about that area in your life that you call barren. Think about those things in your life that you call empty, kind of vain, kind of nothing, nothing worth nothing. Think about the really ugly, smelly, pee-pee areas of your life. Did you know right now the Spirit of God is hovering over it, trembling, just waiting for the Word to move in and change? We have to believe. Have you, have you stopped believing that the Spirit of God can make you and change you from one glorious thing to another? We're going to move into a time of worship. Let me just go ahead and get everybody to stand up. As we get into this time of worship, we're going to sing about the glory of God. We're going to sing words that are true. And by singing words that are true, you have the opportunity this morning to begin to believe. You may not even feel like you believe it as you sing it. We're going to sing in a minute, He makes everything glorious. And you may be thinking of that area in your life that is the farthest thing from that, and you've lost hope that it will ever be glorious. But as you sing... It'll help you believe. And as you believe, the Spirit of God can move. He's hovering this morning.